We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, I'm Jackson Dart. You're listening to the Oxford Exxon Podcast on MPW Digital. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MPW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome into the MPW Digital postgame show presented by Dead Soxy. I am Neil McCready from the Clark Ford Studios. Uh, we'll be joined by Jeffrey Wright here just in just a moment. Uh, we'll get Brian Rippey on. I think we're going to get Pete Deweese. And then uh, give, after a little bit, we'll get Chase Parham uh, live from New Orleans. As postgame gets going, Ole Miss wins 37-20. to 20. A lot to talk about. From this game, we're going to stats and all of that stuff here in just a minute. Before we get going, I want to tell you that today's show brought to you by Dead Soxy. Celebrate and support the Rebels by wearing socks that contribute to Ole Miss Athletics, NIL, and the Grove Collective. Check out the Ole Miss NIL collection on deadsoxy.com. Additionally, Dead Soxy is excited to announce a new collaboration with Michael Trigg. The new collection is now live on the site at deadsoxy.com. If you look in the uh, YouTube description, the link is there as well. So uh, we'll get to that. We're also presented to you by uh, Twisted Tea. All of our content presented by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea. It packs a flavorful punch. 5% alcohol, no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering for your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate game day experience. It perfectly uh, complements your love for college football your passion for creating unforgettable memories. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experiences with Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. Get uh, Jeffrey in here, and we'll uh, we'll get rolling talking about Ole Miss and Tulane. 
Jeffrey Wright, 92.9 ESPN in Memphis. Uh, first up here on the show. How are you, sir? I am doing a whole lot better after uh, who ran the uh, fumble in? That was uh, Jared Ivey. Yeah, after Ivy ran the fumble in, I've been doing a whole lot better. So Ole Miss wins. Ole Miss covers the uh, final stats. I've got the official stats up. So if these are wrong, yell at them. Ole Miss wins 37-20. to 20. Ole Miss 363 yards of total offense. Tulane 342. Ole Miss ran for 274, rushed for 89. Something to talk about there. Tulane threw for 231, ran for 111. Uh, Ole Miss had five penalties for 51 yards. Tulane, two penalties for 10 yards. Both teams had 18 first downs. Ole Miss, one of 13 on third down. One of 13 on third down, but three of three on fourth down. Tulane, nine of 22 on third down, uh, but two of five on fourth down. Ole Miss ran 63 plays. Tulane ran 82 plays. There were 6,417 commercials. Um Ole Miss had 508 yards per play. Tulane, 4.2 yards per play. Uh, let's see. Uh, average yards per rush. Both teams rushed for an average of 2.5 yards per uh, play. Ole Miss had three sacks. Tulane had three and a half sacks. I don't know how that works. Uh, both teams converted every time they got into the red zone. Ole Miss, three for three. Tulane, two for two. Ole Miss possessed the football 25 minutes and 15 seconds. Tulane had it, of course, 30 minutes and 34 seconds. Ole Miss had no fumbles. Tulane had two fumbles and lost one. So, obviously, the, the storyline at the beginning of the game was Michael Pratt didn't play. Yeah. I, I just published a column at rebelgrove.com where I'm like, you know, you can do the hypothetical about what if, and it's fine, like whatever. I think it's kind of a waste of time. Um, the more interesting thing to me with Ole Miss today that – a couple of things. There's a positive and a negative. The positive is when they had to make a play, they made a play. Good teams make plays when you have to make plays. Now, the negative is they put themselves in some weird spots today where offensive line was was it was bad for a while. Uh defense was was shaky early. Um there was a lot. There's a lot there to critique, but at the end of the day, they won. They get a chance to critique it coming off of a off of a win. Uh, Alabama and Texas are a minute and thirty seconds or so into their game, so we'll we'll, we'll talk about that as the, as the night progresses. But they got two weeks until they play Alabama. They've got stuff they've got to clean up if they want to have a chance to win that game in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, so I think I'll take a look at it this way. Um, was the offensive line bad? I thought they were, but I've been pretty consistent that I think that's one of the more overrated position groups in the country. Everyone keeps telling me how good this Ole Miss offensive line is. I've just not seen it the last two years. But I also want to be entirely fair to them because one trend that we've seen with Ole Miss is when they do not have the tight end, that offense looks like that. And we saw it last year towards the end of the season when they lose the tight end, they, it's a lot harder. Basically what everybody does is they put their defensive ends really wide and they pinch down really hard and they take away the inside zone play that is so successful for Ole Miss. And that leads to a lot of really easy runs, a lot of easy runs. My brother's going nuts. Uh, there's a fumble here for Alabama. Um, 
But without the tight end, it really allows teams to play them very differently. And it's made it a lot harder on them. So I, I acknowledge that. Um, and then it's very obvious as soon as Harris, the possession that Harris is on the field, they move the ball at will. And as soon as he came off the field, uh, they struggled. And it's important to note that despite all of that, they were able to not only figure out a way to move the ball in the second half, they were able to figure out how to make a comeback against a pretty good opponent. And yes, Pratt's not in there. We can also make the argument. I, you know, I'm sure they prepared a lot differently for Pratt than they did for what's his name? Hobson. I've screwed up his name 38 times. Horton. Kay, uh, Kai, Horton. Kai Horton. Kai Horton finishes by the way, 15 of 37 passing 231 yards, one touchdown, one interception. And I also thought defensively, I thought they got better as the game went on. I think as they kind of got adjusted to what Tulane was trying to do, I thought Ole Miss got a lot better. And, you know, is it going to be one of those? It's one of those wins that at 37-20, everyone that watched it knows that it wasn't 37-20. But I did kind of find myself overall agreeing with Dusty Dvorak at the end where that could be something to build on. Like I understand beating Tulane is not going to make you an SEC contender, but I do think it was beating a quality opponent on the road. It was, you know, the biggest environment that they've had at that stadium probably ever. And things did not go your way. And you figured out a way to not only win, but you had to make big plays and, I really thought the play that Dart made on fourth and two, like I thought that was a big boy play. I, I said it on Twitter that that was a big boy play, but that's kind of a play that I've he's capable of making, but I don't know if we've really seen him make kind of that, hey, the ball's in my hands. I've got to be the guy that, that does this for my team, and he did it, and I thought there's something to be said for that. I did too. I actually thought Dart played well. There was a couple of threads on the message board. And look, I'm not criticizing message boards. It's emotional and all that stuff. I was cursing the Cubs the last few days. So I totally get it. But uh, like, You were cursing the Cubs during this game. I was Yes, during this game. Yes, because they can't score. But anyway, yes. there was the whole, hey, when do you put in Sanders to spark the offense? I'm like, guys, the, the problem with this offense right now is not Jackson Dart. The problem with this offense right now is they're not protecting Jackson Dart. And with Trey Harris out and no tight end, as you mentioned, they're not pushing the ball down the field between the seams, between the, the hashes, I should say. And when opposing defenses figure that out, and they do, once they figure that out, they defend you differently and nothing's open. I mean, you know, he, you look at, at Dart's final line, he goes 17 of 27, 267 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. And, and and also on that interception, like yeah, I'm not gonna blame Wade, but no. Wade Wade fell down and that allowed like it was a man to man route. He's throwing it in front of him. Wade falls down. The the defender makes the play. Like yeah. I, I don't I didn't think that was a bad throw. And here's the here's the point. And you you've made it. I'm gonna make it. And this is not a criticism of these two young men. But when Dayton Wade and Jordan Watkins are your two leading receivers, and they were tonight, Wade, seven catches for 106 yards, Watkins, five catches for 60 yards, and your third leading receiver is Quinshawn Judkins, three, uh, three catches for 32 yards, man, your offense isn't going to be super explosive in the passing game when those are your guys. I mean, those are – Wade made one hell of a play down the field on that uh, 
Yes, that forty-three yard catch. That was an amazing play. But you get my he point. He made an amazing. He made an amazing catch. I also think that he should have adjusted to like the what the. It was a perfect throw. That should have been a touchdown. But he still. I give him credit. Finishing the play, yeah. he made an amazing grab. Yeah, he, but with those are your two leading receivers. Yeah. That means that Trey Harris wasn't out there. You didn't have a tight end. They need to get something out of Zakari Franklin at some point. They need Aiden Williams to play. He didn't do much of anything today. He, in the little bit that he was in, he looked a little overwhelmed by the well, moment. His first his first play in, he was blocking and yeah. Dart was throwing him the ball. Like that that kind of said this like told the story. And then rushing. And this is an interesting stat. Quinshawn Judkins, 18 carries for 48 yards. Jackson Dart, 14 carries for 41 yards. Uh, Ulysses Bentley, two carries, no yards. And uh, Matt Jones, a carry for no yards. You're, you're, what was supposed to be the strength of this team through two games, and again, Mercer stacked the box and all of that, but what was supposed to be the strength of this team through two games is not the strength of this team. And so now you have these receiver woes and Priest Corn's out. They're hoping to get him back for next week. They're targeting the Alabama game in two weeks. You're really having to produce offense. And once you get off the script, right, once you get off the script, it's harder and harder to produce it. And that's what you saw tonight, today. Yeah, the other thing that you saw today if they don't get an explosive play early, they also really struggle to produce. And so, you know, I mean, you, you read the numbers. What they finish? One of 13 on third downs. I think they were 0 of 8 on third downs in the first half. Um, you know, I mean, it, to me, like, that all speaks, though, to, to everything that we just mentioned. If you're struggling to block, if you're struggling to generate a run game, and you've got receivers that you're not depending on, well, you're probably going to struggle on third downs. Like, it's going to be really hard to move the football. And that is where I kind of give them credit tonight. Like, it was far from a perfect game, but that is sometimes what you have to have where we've got to figure out some way to generate an offense. And, it, you know, at no point was it comfortable, but I did think that they – they kind of scrapped enough of a game plan together to figure out how to generate some offense, and I tip my cap to them because I'm not sure if this happens last year, Neil, if if this particularly this happens in, like, what was it, the last four or five weeks of the season, I'm not sure they come back and win this game. No, I mean, I mean there was, you know, 17-7. to 7. I, I always thought they'd come back and win, but I was thinking to myself, you know, you're, you're a weird play away at this point from – being in danger, right? And and they were able to uh they were able to kind of escape that and and get the win like I said. They you get the win. But if you're if, if you're them and you get back late tonight and you get up tomorrow morning and you go to the Manning Center and you start looking at the film and turning the page, what's priority 1 in terms of fixing? Cuz to me, it's the offensive line. It's figuring out whatever, you know, if you want to call it offensive line, if you want to call it manipulating a tight end it's figuring out some way that they've got to figure out how to be able to run the ball again but it, how they're used to running it because and i'm not saying like this is ever a team that's just gonna you know run it down your throat for you know seven a carry but was there ever really a point tonight or this afternoon i should say 
where you felt like if they needed a yard, they could get it. Yeah, I just I didn't have a whole lot of confidence whenever they tried to run it. Yeah, no, they they they, they couldn't run the ball at all, effectively at all. And I, I don't know whether that's because teams are keying on them or because it's more what I think it is. I just don't think they're particularly good right now tackle to tackle. And you don't have you don't so, have you don't have a tight end. It's another tight end issue. You know, when you don't have a tight end on the field that that you can count on, there's defenses can create number issues. We'll talk to Pete about it in a little while, and he's going to be able to break that I mean, down I, better than better than I, I also could. Think but. like I, I'm, you know, uh, say you can read into this what you will. I believe Pettis had three holding penalties again tonight. Yeah, I, I don't know if he had three or not. He had several. I didn't think he played well. He had one play where he whiffed completely. Yeah. Um, he try. I think he plays too high. I think there's such an emphasis in his mind on mauling people instead of technically blocking people. And then he gets frustrated and, you know, and look, he gets beat a lot. Yeah. Let's see. He had two called on him and I think only, and one wasn't accepted, but I mean, I, I think that's a real problem. Um, it, you know, I mean, I, I, this is kind of the other way to look at it. It's like when you're comparing Tulane, how many other defensive lines this year are going to be worse than Tulane that you're going to see in the SEC? Yeah, I mean, so none. Well, I'm saying I mean, Vanderbilt, Van- Vanderbilt, maybe next week. And Georgia Tech, yeah, but among SEC teams, I mean, there will be defensive lines that aren't particularly good. I'm having a YouTube issue, by the way, over here that I'm trying to get, trying to figure out how to get out of it, and it's just not letting me. Sometimes I miss DirecTV. Today's one of those days. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm. God, Milrow is fast. Yeah, he God, can, he's fast. He can really run. Texas and Alabama, no score, 9.05 to go in the first quarter. By the way, uh, other games around the SEC. Uh, Miami is putting the finishing touches on a win over Texas A&M. This was a entertaining game. Seems like, it seems like your fan base is thoroughly enjoying that one. Uh, Miami winning 48-33, to 237 to go in the fourth. Ten- Tennessee struggling a little bit tonight at home against Austin P. They lead 13-6 to at the half. Missouri up 3 nothing early over uh, Middle Tennessee. We just mentioned Alabama and Texas. Uh, Grambling and LSU kick off here in the next few minutes. So do McNeese and Florida. Arizona and Mississippi State. Furman and South Carolina. Auburn and Cal play three hours from now in Berkeley. Earlier today, Georgia beat Ball State 45-3. Uh, Georgia struggled early, but their, their defense is phenomenal, and Ball State was obviously no match. Wake Forest beat Vanderbilt 36-20 to uh, earlier today in Winston-Salem. Kentucky struggled quite a bit all day against uh, Eastern Kentucky before, oh boy. before winning oh boy. 28-17. to And uh, Arkansas uh, pulled away late to beat Kent State 28-6. to So that's the rest of the SEC slate today. So uh, the Milrow passing thing's a problem. Yeah, that's the question with them, right? Is I mean, you get ready for this yep. game in two weeks, and look, I'm not sure that anybody in the league is great. I'm not sure this is. I'm not sure this isn't the most 
homogenous glob of teams that the SEC has had in a long time. I agree because even Georgia, I mean, Georgia looks bored. Let's be clear. Like I, I, but there have been teams that have been extremely talented that don't win national championships because they're bored. And to me, that's what Georgia looks like. Uh, Alabama's got a problem when they have to try to throw. Um, and Tennessee's probably going to have the same problem. If, if Milton's going to have to put the game on his shoulders and, and throw to win, I'm not sure he's going to be able to do that on a consistent basis. I don't know if Ole Misses is good enough up front um, to take a step forward. A&M couldn't stop turning it over. Um, yeah, I don't know if you'd say it. Is it is? I guess if you want to take the SEC spin, uh, the spin out of Birmingham would be as the league's wide open, right, Neil? Oh, I, mean, I, I do think. Look, I, I think Georgia's the best team in the league, and Carson Beck's got time to get better. And the way their schedule sets up, they have plenty of time. And defensively, they're elite. After that, man, I don't know. Like, you could you could make a case for a whole bunch of teams today. I mean. But Kentucky was not impressive today, but they might have slept walk a little bit. Arkansas was not particularly impressive today, but they could have slept walk a little bit, and they played without Sanders. Um, about to watch Mississippi State in a minute. I'm curious about them. We'll see Auburn later tonight. I'm curious about them. We won't know anything about LSU until next week when they play Mississippi State, really. Nobody's great. I, I mean, nobody's great. I mean, they're all, they're all really flawed teams. I kind of wonder, is this a result of the transfer portal and the era that we're in, in which I think Georgia is Georgia because Georgia still does, Georgia and Alabama still do the best job of recruiting at the high school level, and then they supplement from the portal. And then it feels like everyone else is kind of, to a certain degree, I, like I feel like the middle is just mushier than it's ever been, and I kind of wonder if that's just because of the portal. It could be. Yeah. I mean, I think teams look, uh, I think teams look sort of sloppy. And a lot of that is there's, there is no, there's not a lot of chemistry. chemistry. There's, there's, yeah. I there's mean, not a lot of, there's not a lot of experience. Um, coaches are moving more than ever. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I just think there's not a lot of, there's not as much uh, continuity year to year. And I think that's uh, probably what you're seeing. I'm going to get, uh, to Pete in a, in a few minutes, but I'm going to ask you this. I thought Pete, speaking of Pete's, I thought Pete Golding dialed up a pretty good game plan today. Especially, I think, because it, I'm willing to bet they spent most of the week, even though they knew, they knew it was possible Pratt didn't, wasn't going to play. I got to imagine you'd be doing, you'd be doing a really poor job if you didn't prepare for Pat, uh, Pratt to play. Absolutely. And they had, they had to prepare he, for Pratt. Correct. And so I thought as the game went on, I thought he made some really nice adjustments. And if you saw, like, I felt like as the game went on, Horton struggled more and more and more. And I think that's because Ole Miss started getting more adjusted to what Tulane was trying to do. And I think they started to, to have some counters. And I, I give Golding credit, you know, Mercer scores on the first play of the game. And again, it's Mercer. I'm not trying to make too much out of it. But really after that, when 
when Ole Miss kind of settled in and figured out what they were trying to do, they adjusted very nicely. And I think you could say the same thing, the same thing this afternoon, because that is, that offense is still going to score a lot of points. And, you know, I mean, what, it was basically what, three points in the second half. They gave up three in the second half. Yeah, right? no, they they played really well in the second half because they were down seventeen to seven. It finishes thirty-seven to twenty. So you can do the math on on what happened with the the last. And that's also if you if you want to take a if you want to take a difference between this year and last year, that's a big difference. Last year, second halves were a disaster for Ole Miss, particularly defensively and offensively. But like when teams started to when teams started to make their adjustments, Ole Miss was wasn't very good, particularly in second halves. And tonight they did. Like I thought, I thought, I thought they got popped in the mouth in the first half. And I was very interested to see how they would respond. And I think they punched back. And then I think they kind of gave the knockout punch and I, I credit them for that. Yeah, I do too. Uh, last thing. This is the same offensive line as last year. They were able to run the yeah. football at will last season. They're not running it now. I know you haven't had a chance to like look at film or any of that stuff, but first glance, what's the what's the reasoning for the running game problem? I think it's well, I think it's twofold. Number one, Judkins to me doesn't look as explosive. And I don't know if that's because of penetration early. Um I maybe he's dinged up. We don't know. I don't know if that's uh I took note that there were a couple of big possessions this afternoon that he wasn't in there. I, I made a mental note of that. Um, I suspect it was because he wasn't doing a great job of blocking and they knew it was going to be a lot of uh, quarterback run. And there was a reason why Bentley was in there. That's, that's nothing more than a premonition, but this offense was able to run the ball really well last year until they lost all the tight ends. Yeah. They, they didn't really run the, Mississippi State. They didn't really run the ball against Arkansas. Now they fell behind against Arkansas, but early they still weren't able to run the ball. I just think they're in that. I think they're going to be in this. We got to figure it out until we start getting some guys back healthy. And really, I think it starts when when Priestcorn gets back. Well, I know you've got a night full of football ahead of you, so I will uh, I will let you get to it. I appreciate the time. All right, be good. Thanks. That was Jeffrey Wright. Thanks for his time. I'm going to change my setup a little bit. Pete's calling in in about two or three minutes. I will answer a question that was in the stream about uh, defense. Uh, Sunterine Perkins did not record a, a stat today, unless I'm missing it here. Ole Miss's leading tackler was Trey Washington with eight. This is according to the, the stats. Uh, Kari Coleman had seven tackles. Isaac Ukwu had uh, six, including a sack. Coleman had a sack. Uh, Saunders, TJ Young, Ashanti Sistrunk all had five. Uh, John Baptiste had four, as did J.J. Pegues, DeAndre Prince, Jarrett Ivey, uh, Monty Montgomery, DeMarco Williams, and Xavier Harris had three each, a handful of players, including Cedric Johnson, Dejon Anthony, Ladarius Tennyson, Jamon Gordon, had two each, and then there was a handful of players with uh, with one tackle each so I don't know why Perkins didn't play thank you for the super chat Marine appreciate that very much
I'm going to go to this look a little bit so that I can turn and see uh, see the games a little bit, if that's okay. Because I've, uh, I've got Alabama on one screen. I've got Mississippi State and Arizona getting ready to get started on another so I can keep an eye on those. Uh, Trey Harris went out early. We'll get an update. I'm sure that uh, Lane's going to be asked about it in the postgame. Pete DeWeese, our... Uh, MPW digital football expert kind enough to join in. We just got through talking to Jeffrey. Appreciate the time, Pete, very much. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right. I don't even know where to start. I'll start with some of the basic stuff and get your thoughts. Um, start with the running game. Ole Miss is having a hard time through two games, establishing a running game really outside of quarterback run. What, what do you see with your eyes when you're watching that? You know, I, I think part of it is, um, Tulane was hell-bent on keeping six defenders in the box. And one of the things Ole Miss typically does a good job of is creating formations to get five guys in the box, gain an advantage in the run game. Um, and, and that just wasn't there. Tulane said, we're going to keep six in the box. They used a lot of different movements up front, slanting guys, blitzing guys, um, to try to clog holes. And I really – I think a big part of it is the lack of a tight end that is a presence in the run game right now. Um, I, I think that really showed up today. Yeah, that's what Jeffrey said as well. I mean, like they're going to get Priest Corn back at some point. They hope. What? What? If you had a tight end, I guess that just changes the numbers in the box. You know, if, if they're going to play with six in the box and try to add a safety late, when you are able to add a tight end, you can now account for six guys and then try to get to the seventh or hope the back can make the seventh guy miss. So when, when you have six guys in the box defensively and the old, you know, the offense is basically playing with five, you either have to read somebody, which is where a lot of Ole Miss's success today and what they did have in the run game. It's where it came from. Uh, in the end, Ole Miss started running power read. They did it um, by using motion to get a receiver, um, out there in the last couple of plays, um, you know, run plays for Dart outside of a draw, it, it was a part of the read game and, and he had to keep the ball. And so that's, you know, you can only live there for so long as an offense. Um, and, and without having an extra defender, you know, if they're going to be hell bent on keeping six in the box without having another guy to account for that hat. You're just you're always going to find problems running the football consistently against those type of looks. When Trey Harris went out, and Aiden Williams really didn't play, didn't appear to be particularly dialed in. I, I got a feeling that he was in the doghouse pretty quickly after his blown assignment. You're having to count on Dayton Wade. You're having to count on Jordan Watkins. They're good receivers, but they're not those big physical down the field receivers that you can go do. How limited does your offense become? I mean, you know, one thing we've seen in the last two weeks is Dayton Wade has made two incredible catches. Yeah. Um, but but he's not a big target, you know. Um, the the one against Mercer was just a great ball and an even better catch. And then the one today he was wide open and made a great adjustment on the ball. Um, you know, they like Ole Miss likes to be able to push it to big receivers. And, and, you know, once once that wasn't really there today, it caused some problems. I mean, I, I 
a lot of the TV copy, you couldn't fully see what was happening um, as far as the coverage was concerned. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping I can get the coach's copy. I'm curious to see how much was it, of it was man-to-man, uh, how much zone did they actually play. It looked to me like they played in a lot of cover four um, just based off what I could see on, on the television. But, um, you know, they, they had a good game plan. And Lane, Lane said it at one point when he was interviewed on the sideline of it was a lot like what Vanderbilt did last year. Um, and in, in some way that made a ton of sense as soon as he said it. Um, and in some ways I, they were doing it with better players today. Um, they, they had an impressive group on defense. Speaking of defense, let's talk about Ole Miss. There's a lot of talk about Ole Miss's defense this week. Believe me, I heard a lot of that talk. Uh, what kind of a grade would you give Pete Golding and company today? You know, I, one, I, I do think they made some good adjustments. Um, I, I liked his his kind of attack in the second half, particularly in in passing situations where they struggled today. Um, the the two things I, I still there are s- still some some speed concerns, maybe is the right word, um, but I, I still they are more sound. They are playing with better technique. They are playing with better leverage than we've seen from an Ole Miss defense in a while. Um, you get concerned a little bit about how often they were there for tackles at or right past the line of scrimmage, and then the ball carrier would just kind of kept churning forward. Um, it, at some point against a better team, how much does that really hurt you? Um, and then the other one is I would say, you know, they, they struggled a little bit in that third and medium, anywhere from third and three to third and six. Uh, we actually, on the preview show last week, we talked about mesh. And I showed you a clip of from the bowl game last year uh, where they ran one of their mesh concepts. And they hit the back out in the flat. And I just, from watching it without going back or taking any notes or anything, I bet they ran four or five different variations of mesh today and maybe another two variations of like mesh return, um, which is just really another, you know, another way to run the play. But um, they really majored in it, and and when they did, Ole Miss, they were successful a couple of times, but it gave them some problems. I think in that down and distance, him having to make the decision between being aggressive and trying to play man, which is what mesh is designed to beat, um, versus limiting his pass rush a little bit more and playing zone, do you just get concerned with giving the quarterback too much time? So um, overall, I mean, I, I – um, I would have liked to see him be a little bit more stout against the run. Obviously, they gave up some big plays in the passing game, and, and Tulane, I thought, did a really nice job hitting things in the seam on end cuts from outside receivers where they would clear out a safety and then replace him with an outside guy, and and they did a really nice job attacking Ole Miss that way. But, I mean, overall, after some of the performances we've seen in the last couple of years, I don't think you can be upset with the Ole Miss defense. Um, but there are still questions out there. Switch back to offense a little bit here. Got a little bit of – I'm going to be careful with this because this is one of those things that I don't have confirmed. We obviously will work to confirm this, but you guys want to know what we hear sometimes. And the sourcing on this is pretty good. It's pretty reliable. It's uh, The track record on this source is really strong. We're hearing um, MCL sprain for Trey Harris is the early prognosis – if that's the case, what we're hearing is he's out about four weeks. 
Um, if that's the case, let's just say for the sake of the argument that that's accurate. Let's work on that for just a minute. Obviously, that is a huge blow to the passing game. He's got five touchdown receptions so far this season. How do you, as an offensive coordinator, have to adjust when you don't have that big target to work with in terms of putting together a game plan, knowing that an opposing defense knows that, hey, number nine is not available for them? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, you you lose him and and you're down some of your tight ends. Um, you know, you will play some things a little bit differently. Um, the question will be, do you do you keep 11 in the slot? Do you move him out wide? Um, and how do you build your RPOs? So much to what they do, they like to RPO with those outside guys and they like the big bodies to do it and that's always the RPO, the ability for the quarterback to pull and make a throw has always been a big part of the run game for Ole Miss. It does a lot to alleviate pressure from the run game and give them some of the run lanes that we've seen them have in the past couple of seasons. Today, there was not much of an RPO presence. Um, And I don't know how much of that had to do with Harris going down um, versus maybe just what they were seeing on the other side of the ball. But uh, but we, we didn't see a ton of it, not with high success today um, from Ole Miss. So I'm, I'm sure if that's the case, it'll be about who do they trust, right? At, mm-hmm. at that point, it's okay. Do we do we get the young guy out there? Do we go with next man up? Or do we need to overhaul some things and maybe the personnels we're playing with, adjust our formations? And, uh, you know, trust has so much to do with who you're going to put out there. Trigg made a play late, sometimes – a player having some success leads to more success. It leads to confidence. It leads to, you see it in other sports. You, a lot of times a guy makes it, you know, a basketball player makes a bucket early. He thinks, okay, well, I'm going to make another bucket. Then he does. And then all of a sudden he's hot, right? The opposite of that is true. He misses a couple and he's done for the night. How, I mean, at this point, you, you, you've got to put Trigg in there more. You've got to put Kyron Heath in there more until you have pre back and say, hey, we've, 
got to try to force this a little bit, right? Or And the same with Aiden Williams. Do you have to almost put him in and go, hey, you're going to make mistakes, but we need you to make plays too? To to some degree, they're, they're going to have to. Um, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, they had the advantage last year. They were able to take Mingo and play with him almost like a tight end at times last year. They didn't ask him to devastate anybody in the run game as a blocker. They used him to create an extra gap and do some different things. And right now they don't have that body other than Heath and Trigg. And so they're going to have to continue to use them. The thing with both of those guys is you can take advantage of their athleticism. And I'm I'm sure that that the more those guys are going to be on the field, I think the more you'll see that taking place in the game plan. Um, I, the most encouraging thing to me, um, I, I think if you're an Ole Miss fan, is one, the team did show some resilience. Um, you know, they, they, they found a way to finish down the stretch, and some of that was aided by Tulane. But they found a way to finish down the stretch. And then I, I think the other thing is um, there were games last year where when Jackson Dart would hit a rut, it was like he really struggled to come out of it. Um, and, and I felt like today um, he, he he rebounded better. I thought know? so, too. I thought, he, I thought he was really good late. Yeah, he, he, he was. And I, I think um, even just the way that they came out and played and started the second half, like, and we kind of said this on the show last week, like they, they appear to have a lot of confidence in him. And, and, and they showed that with, I think, some a lot of the play calling in the second half. Um, and, and that's what you want, and that's, that's what you need. And so they're going to have to continue to rely on him. Um, and, and they got to find a way to get four going. Got to get the run game going. And without a tight end, I'll be interested to see how they do that moving forward. Yeah, the two things that if, if I'm looking at it that concern me the most is the – we talked about the tight end thing and how that's hard to get number four going and all that. And the other thing is – Man, I didn't think pass protection was all that good. And I mean, you 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 know that you're maybe you disagree. You're really counting no. on those guys to step up and and if you cuz if you can't run it and they're going to stack the box, you've got to be able to throw it. And they gave up a sack to a three-man rush at one point today. You just that can't happen. It it was not good early. It it they settled in a little bit. I think they started to get a feel for, for how Tulane was trying to attack them. Um, Tulane did a really good job attacking protection, uh, I thought, early in the game, using normal normal strategies, um, but their kids executed it really well. They were able to, um, to kind of create some one-on-one matchups. And then, you know, a lot of the pass rush stunts that you use defensively um, – really are, are similar to setting a screen in basketball or they can be and uh, almost like a pick and roll type action where the guy that sets the pick ends up potentially being the guy that rolls to the quarterback, much like a basketball player would, would kind of roll to, to the, to the rim. And so um, I thought early Tulane with a lot of the stunts they were using up front, did a real nice job of kind of picking um, offensive linemen, providing, the fold in player. And, and when that, when you're, when you're in pass pro like that, and especially if you're in a man to man scheme, um, when, when those guys start to twist, you have to make a decision. 
do I stay on or do I pass it off? And when done correctly, those things can be very difficult to pass off. And, uh, and Tulane had some success there today getting home. If you're a coach, uh, what do you what do you take from a game like today where obviously there's going to be a lot of talk about what would have happened had Michael Pratt played? That's not something you're discussing in your room, obviously, when you get back. You got you get wake up tomorrow, you get six days till Georgia Tech, thirteen until Alabama. What's what's just kind of the general approach to a, a team after this? You talk to them about being resilient. You talk to them about, you know, about coming back and, and staying staying the course, so to speak. Um, and then you send them home for the night and you wake up tomorrow and you grade the film. And then when you bring them back in, whether that's Sunday night or Monday morning, um, you, you praise them for what they did, but, but you also, you, you gotta, there's going to be a lot of little things that they're going to see on film that they know they have to improve on um, at, at every spot. And, and, you know, that, that's, that's the name of the game at this point, right? You, there's no point you won the game. There's no point in beating up your kids even if you don't think you played well, right? You, you show them, you show them what you need to fix and you try to attack it. And part of it, I would, I would hope, I would think is, um, is, you know, the coaching staff, you're always going to evaluate, okay, how much of it was the way our kids played? How much of it was us not having the right guy out there? And how much of it was us not having the right call as a staff? Um, and, and so that, that'll be part of that conversation too. Last thing. You've had, you've been, you're busy. You've got a high school team that you're coaching. You've got two little ones in your house. But if you look around the league, I mean, some teams struggled today. Tennessee struggled with Austin P. Arkansas struggled with Kent State. Uh, Kentucky struggled with Eastern Kentucky. LSU and Grambling are tied at seven right now. Um, Missouri trails Middle Tennessee seven to three midway through the second. Tennessee leads Austin P 20 to six. We saw Ole Miss down 17 to seven at one point against Tulane without Michael Pratt. Alabama's losing right now. Uh, Arizona and Mississippi state are scoreless. Is it possible the league's just kind of down for a year? I, I think it's too early to say um, it, it's possible. You know, I, I think say what you want about the portal. I, you know, there's a lot of guys that go up, but there's a lot of guys that go down and they're good football players Yeah, that may have just been behind somebody else. And that was one of the things today watching the broadcast. Um, and, and we know the type of influx of the roster that Ole Miss has had, but they, they kept talking about guys, you know, a, a defensive back for Tulane that I think had been a four-year starter at Northwestern. And, you know, they, they, they are, have played for four years at Northwestern. So, they have accrued some talent on their roster as well. And and I think you see that everywhere, you know? Um, and, and I, I don't know if that creates parity. I, I, I don't, may, maybe it does. Maybe that's where we're starting to see the, the mass results of the portal and how much movement there is. We tend to focus on the guys that we think move up, but there's so many guys that move down that earned a power five scholarship or earned a group of five scholarship. And now maybe they're playing at a different level. They had ability to get that scholarship. They just maybe weren't able to win the job once they got on campus, you know? Um, so I, I don't know, maybe that creates, it creates parity. Maybe the league is down. Um, it's also just so early in the year. Yeah. Um, maybe a lot of people are still trying to figure out who they are. Pete, as always, thanks for the time. I look forward to, uh, 
the next installation of Pete's Pigskin Preview presented by Riverland Roofing. We'll look ahead to Ole Miss and Georgia Tech on uh, on Thursday. Appreciate the time, bud. Yes, sir. Good talking to you. You too. That was Pete DeWeese. Uh, Brian Rippey will be uh, joining momentarily. I'm sending him a message now that we're ready for him. Uh, Chase uh, just texted a minute ago. They were getting Jackson Dart. Then he was going to be done. He was going to try to get to us as well. Uh, told you about scores. I even mentioned, um, I didn't mention South Carolina. They trail Furman right now, 538 to go in the first. Furman leads uh, seven to nothing. Alabama has tied it up in Tuscaloosa. That game is uh, three to three very early in the second quarter, Texas and, and Alabama. I'll pull up some scores from the rest of the country. There was the big, big game, the big Fox game today was the big. 12 game, I guess, was Colorado and, and Nebraska. Colorado just boat raced Nebraska 2-0 and under uh, under Deion Sanders at Boulder. So we'll get Brian on in a minute. We're still waiting for uh, Chase. We'll get to him in a little bit as well. Um, the Alabama game's interesting because Alabama appears to be sort of one-dimensional offensively. They, they, they look to be typical Alabama defensively, but, man, one-dimensional teams – it's sort of hard to make that work in uh, at the SEC level. Missouri has uh, kicked the field goal to make it 7-3, to three, by the way. So Missouri trails 7-3, 8-09 to go in the second. I think we're having a little communication issue with Brian. We'll get to him in a minute. If you guys have any questions in the stream, fire them at me, and I'll, uh, I'll get to those as well. Yeah, it's a big loss for A&M today, uh, Rocky. No question. Uh, hold on one second. Yes. All right, we're going to get Brian on in just a second here. Again, Ole Miss 37, Tulane 20. Got those stats. Uh, Quinshawn Judkins, 18 carries, 48 yards. Jackson Dart, 14 carries, uh, 41 yards. Let's see. Got to resend a, um, resend a link to Brian. Hold on one second. Kind of live production here. Appreciate your patience. We're having a little communication issue, but we got it almost worked out. We're almost almost there. And we're going to get chased momentarily. I think he's getting close to ready in New Orleans after the post game. I'll look for uh, Ole Miss to send the uh, FTP of Lane's press conference. I don't see it yet. So.
Brian Rippey joins here on the uh, Campbell Clinic Hotline. Brian, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. We've uh, we've covered a good bit of ground. We're going to get to Chase in moments. So I'm not going to keep you very long at all. Just your uh, your kind of overriding thoughts from Ole Miss 37 to Lane 20. Well, they found a way to win the game. It was far from a work of art, but you have to give them credit for adjusting in the second half. And you know, that game looked like it was going to get pretty squirrely. There was a moment in the first half where I thought if Tulane might run away with the game, and they didn't. Ole Miss found a way to win, found a way to cover, and you know, I guess it's kind of one of those things where you survive to the next week. But uh, I think we learned a lot about this team today. Like what? What do you think we learned? I think we learned that they def- desperately need a tight end, particularly as it pertains to the running game. I heard Jeffrey and Pete Deweese mention that earlier, and I think that's absolutely the case for Ole Miss as well. And the left side of the offensive line is interesting to me too because they're choosing to play Kern and McGee, the two transfers over Williams and Acker. And not that they're wrong for doing that by any stretch, but it's just very, very interesting to me. You return what you think is two starters, but they replace them with two transfers and they've not had success running the football against any opponent with a pulse, which I guess is, you know, one game at this point, but still it is, uh, it's not nothing. Yeah. The tight end thing's a problem. And now that if, if Trey Harris is out, that's what we're hearing. Trey Harris is going to be out for several weeks. If he's out for any period of time and you can't count on Aiden Williams and your two leading receivers are kind of small guys. And I don't know what the status is on, on Franklin and teams are, are going to be able to stack the box and, you have an offensive line that's sort of struggling to find its identity. Feels like you are really putting a lot, whether it's Jackson Dart or even if it's Spencer Sanders. People keep calling for a quarterback change, which is beyond my comprehension at this point. But whatever, you're counting on a a running quarterback, which is I don't think you, to steal a word from you that you like to use. I think that's suboptimal to to be counting on a running quarterback all the time. I, I at some point you've got to figure out, hey. Like they keep, it looks to me like they're experimenting up front and they, they've yet to find the exact uh, equation that they're looking for. I don't think they're winning up front on offense for the most part. Judkins is, is struggling early. Um, 18 carries, 48 yards today. I mean, that's, he hasn't forgotten how to run the football. There's no place for him to go. I mean, he's getting hit behind the line of scrimmage a lot. Um, I didn't think that going into the Georgia Tech game two weeks from Alabama that the concern would be offense. I really thought the concern would be defense. And there are some defensive concerns. But for me right now, I can't believe I'm saying this, as more I'm thinking about it, offense is more of a worry for me if I'm an Ole Miss fan than the defense is. Oh, I totally agree at this point. And it is very shocking um, that that would be the case. You know, I wrote something on Friday for the uh, Rippy Wright's newsletter about you know, what I was looking for in the game, and it was mostly defensive-centric because I thought one thing that would be a given is that Ole Miss would move the football at will on Tulane, and it was a matter of the defense held up, and that was not really the case. The defense did hold up. Ole Miss ended up winning the game, you know, going away toward the end, but I never thought that that would be the case at all. I I thought Ole Miss would score 30-plus points with relative ease, and it certainly was not with ease at all, and that's going to be a fascinating subplot uh, going forward for Ole Miss, because as you mentioned, the defense did hold up. They were pretty good for the most part, outside of a couple of different uh, coverage busts here or there, or, you know, being leaky in the running game a couple of different times. But the defense was pretty good, and the offense is the one that kind of needs to figure it out. And I think if you're looking at it from an optimistic standpoint, uh, from a fan base perspective, is that's something that I would think would be 
more fixable than the defense, right? Like they just have those guys and the defense seems to me to be is what it is, whether it's good or bad or the offense, I think they can find ways to fix it. I think Caden Priestcorn coming back, whether that's Georgia Tech or Alabama, he did in fact have surgery. I know that was a bit of a controversy despite uh, it actually being pretty ironclad. Um, but be that as it may, when he does come back, I think there'll be a little bit of a help for Ole Miss in the running game. And I'm curious to see how much of a boost that gives them. Yeah, it's almost like we reported that he had surgery. And then other people said he didn't have surgery. And we're like, no, he did. And then other people said, no, he didn't. And then people kept saying, well, you guys said, I'm like, yeah, well, we did. We never we never backed off that he did. And he did. <laughs> and yeah, so, it's crazy. And I so don't know why else you'd be in a hospital, in a hospital bed if you didn't have surgery. I don't love to lay in hospital beds by choice. Have not been in one to yet in the, this point in my life, knock on wood. But uh, I figured if I would, it'd probably be because uh, of some sort of procedure. But, hey, I guess it could be various things. You know, I don't know. Hotels are hotels are so expensive now, man. And I mean, sometimes you just you you take what you get. No, I mean it's people. Go, Why are y'all being snarky about this? Well, it's because I don't know. Because kind of because we sort of said that he had surgery and that he had the surgery. So what's the feeling on him though? Probably Alabama. It sounds like Alabama. I think there maybe is a small chance that he comes back next week, but I think they're aiming for Alabama for sure, which is a great time to get him back, right? I don't think. Having a tight end or not having a tight end will necessarily sink Ole Miss at home against Georgia Tech next week. But, man, they better go to Tuscaloosa with their full arsenal. And if you can get free scoring back, I think that will help a lot. Um, but, hey, you know, running game aside, it is kind of funny that whatever Trigg's status was, he ended up making one of the biggest plays of the game for Ole Miss he did. after all the kind of drama. That was a big-time play by Jackson Dart. I, I, I mean – I know we all sound like Dart fanboys because I think we all like Jackson and we sort of admire the way that he's handled some things. But I thought the guy played really well today. I, I mean, if, if if Dart doesn't play pretty well and play really tough, that game might get weird. Oh, I think it could have gotten weird in a hurry. If he had been, you know, 2022 Jackson Dart and he makes a terrible decision towards the end of the first half, the one that comes to mind to me is – that inexplicable interception he had against Georgia Tech toward the end of the first half last year where it's kind of like, dude, what are you doing? What would you see there? If he had had one of those Jackson Dart moments, that game could have been totally different for Ole Miss, and he didn't. And look, do you give him a ton of credit for not making a bonehead mistake? No, but I think that also shows his growth. And I thought he played really well today too. Again, I couldn't, like you, I couldn't for the life of me understand the calls for changing it up at quarterback at halftime based off of what happened today. I didn't think anything that happened today was remotely primarily Jackson darts uh, responsibility per se. Did he play perfect? No, but I don't think sticking another quarterback in there would have changed much of anything. And you know, this is why you guys pay me the big bucks upwards of seven figures a year. This is why I have beach houses across the country. I did make some notes for this post game show. Yeah. Um, I was looking up Ole Miss's lowest rushing outputs in the Kiffin era. And it was kind of a, an interesting exercise because their five lowest in the Kiffin era are 2021 Alabama, 78 yards. They obviously lost that game very badly. 78 yards against Mississippi State in 2022. They lost that game. 89 today against Tulane, win it. 2022 LSU, 117, a loss. And 2021 against Baylor, a loss for 138 yards. So there's very much a line of demarcation about how much success Ole Miss needs to have in the running game to win games and they found a way to do it without it today, which they deserve an abundance of credit for, but I don't think it'll be totally sustainable if that continues. 
No, I listen, I think next week's going to be a bigger challenge than people think it's going to be. Uh, I think Georgia Tech's going to come in with a degree of confidence, and I think that they're going to obviously know that Ole Miss is somewhat limited, and they now have some things they can attack, and they're going to get after it. It's an opportunity for them. It's a no-lose situation for them. And then I'm watching Alabama, and obviously I'm distracted. I'm hosting a show, and I'm talking to people, and I'm looking at stuff, and it's over there, and it's kind of awkward. But I'm not blown away by Alabama yet this year. I'm not blown away by anybody in the league outside of Georgia's defense. It's really, really good. I'll give them credit. Georgia's defense is a collection of just beast. Kudos. The rest of the league, so far, nothing. Nobody, Nobody's even impressed me much. I feel like that's like Shania Twain, right? You don't impress me much. And is that, that would right? give you optimism at his Ole Miss fan, right? Is if you can actually figure this yeah. thing out, this is there for the taking. Yeah, I mean, again, Tennessee, Ole Miss doesn't play Tennessee. Ole Miss doesn't play Missouri, but still, you get the point. Alabama trails Texas 10-3. to LSU leads Grambling 14-7. to Ole Miss doesn't play Florida. Mississippi State leads Arizona 7 to nothing. Ole Miss doesn't play South Carolina, but they're tied with Furman right now. Um, again, Auburn plays later. Texas A&M just suffered a loss. I'm just telling you, this A&M thing could go off the rails for them. Now, offensively, they're better. But defensively, they struggled. They were bad in the kicking game. They lose today with Weigman playing pretty well. I mean, I'll pull up a box score on this because I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, Weigman was 31 of 53 passing, 336 yards, two interceptions, two touchdowns. But he had to throw it 53 times. Tyler Van Van Dyke from Miami, a little redemption for him. Remember, he was bad last year in this game, and everybody was like, oh, he sucks. It's almost like sometimes people improve. Uh, 21 out of 30 for 374, five touchdowns, no interceptions. Our, our guy, Henry Parrish Jr., uh, 50 yards rushing on, on uh, 10 carries. Uh, A&M's leading rusher, 18 rushes, 62 yards, and a touchdown for Amari Daniels. I mean, they're, they're not world beaters is my point, A&M, and that's a big loss for them. Um, Kentucky almost doesn't play them, but they struggled with – Eastern Kentucky before winning. Vanderbilt lost to Wake Forest. Uh, Arkansas, 28-6 to over Kent State. They didn't look great. Now, they didn't have Rocket Sanders, and I'm sure they slept walk a little bit with that one because they've got some big games coming up with them, starting with BYU next week. But still, I mean, none of those teams just blow you away. None of those teams you're like, whoa, man, look at them. Anybody. And so I, I still think the SEC West, as of this moment, is – kind of up for grabs, and Ole Miss has a shot. There's a lot of discussion you know, over the last week about Ole Miss looking slow on the defensive side. I know we talked about offense a decent bit. Did anything today change your opinion about Ole Miss's lack of team speed defensively? Because I thought this would be a very interesting matchup because Tulane's top two receivers are under six foot. They use speed as their predominant tool to create an advantage. And other than – you know, a coverage bust early in the game. Well, Miss actually held up pretty good covering their receivers for the most part. Granted, it's not Michael Pratt's backup quarterback there, but I was actually fairly impressed with the way Ole Miss covered their receivers. Yeah, there were a couple of spots where if if the kid had made a good throw, it, it might have been different. But I thought Walton was good. I thought Prince was good. Um Guys closed on the ball. They made some plays. Yeah, I, th- I thought the back end of the of the defense was pretty good. Uh there was some weird stuff that happened up front where I don't think people completely understand the scheme just yet. 
Like there was one play where Cedric Johnson had a clear path to the quarterback and instead he kind of did a stunt back around and took himself out of the play. Um, and I don't think their linebacker play is anything to write home about. I really don't. I mean, I don't want to call names, but well, I guess we can. They're NIL players. They're making money. None of their linebackers do a lot for me right now. I think it's a liability at this point. There, there, there is a what appears to be a lack of speed at that position, and that sometimes leads to the lack of tackles because the, that you don't get in position because you don't you're not fast enough to get there. And it brings up a very interesting subplot heading forward. Is you, you talk about Cedric Johnson in 2021? I've written about this a lot. He was a very good Robin to Sam Williams' Batman, and by the end of the year, that was one hell of a pass rush that Ole Miss had toward the end of the season. They've used. Johnson in a variety of different ways to the first two weeks. You mentioned that he had a clear path to the quarterback today on a play. I think I remember the exact one you're talking about. And it just didn't really happen. They haven't really used him as like a pure pass rusher. They kind of let him drop back in coverage some. Do you think because of their lack of linebacker play that there's a little bit of the whole Harold Perkins case with them so far with Cedric Johnson, where it's like we're going to move this guy around, use him in a couple of different ways, where it's like actually the best version of this guy is you just let him go get the quarterback. Yeah, and then I can't help but wonder this. This is going to be a wildly unpopular take. But when you are recruiting high-level players, and they are, they're trying to recruit some star players, you show them on film, TV, whatever, hey, this is how we'd use you. And sometimes you don't have the guy to do it, and you force a little of that anyway. And I kind of wonder if some of that's going on. Like they're going after some elite guys that, hey, if we if we had you, this is how we would use you. And if you were in this spot, you dominate. And if you don't show some of that, when other schools do, and they go, hey, yeah, but coach, you guys don't do that. So-and-so does it, and so-and-so does it. When everybody else is offering the same $600,000 package, it sometimes does come down to relationships and how you'd fit and all of that stuff relationships what a novel concept i don't think you're totally <laughs> off with that uh it's just and it's just a it's literally a thought kind of organic as we you know have a conversation i i just think there's more to it than look Ole Miss would love to win the sec this year and go to the playoff duh you can't convince me that there aren't people inside that building and in buildings all over the SEC and all over the country, by the way, that aren't saying, hey, we should absolutely have, yeah, we have, we live, live where our feet are, but we should have an eye to next season because 12 teams are making the playoffs next season and it's going to be super hyped and we have a better chance of being one of those 12 teams next season than we do one of the four teams this season. So maybe we ought to build a little. And I, I, I could be way off, Brian. You could tell me that Lane Kiffin goes, I never think about next season. I'm not sure I'd believe him. I'm not sure I would either. And I don't think your theory is very off at all because, again, there's no way to know what they actually think in the building on a daily basis. But what was the general consensus after 2022 and really in some respect after 2021 about what you would think about the Kiffin era is was you think all signs point to 2024. You would thought from a high school standpoint, it might be a peak in a talent cycle. I don't know if that's really the case anymore, 
but say you just bring back Jackson Dart and you bring back some different guys, it's now an expanded playoff. And that, to me, generally viewing it over the you know 10,000 foot view of the Kiffin era, was going to be a very telling point in his tenure as the Ole Miss head coach, assuming he's still there, was can they make the expanded playoff in 2024? Because to me, that's really what they pay him to do. And again, like you said, they definitely want to win the SEC and make the playoff this year. This is not some rebuild where they're punting on this season or anything like that. Not that anyone's suggesting that. But that, to me, is still a very fascinating point in the Kiffin tenure. What happens in 2024 next year when it's a 12-team playoff? You pay a guy $9 bucks a year. He's now supposed to make that 12-team playoff because the way he's paid amongst his peers lines up with the top 12 in the country, where, again, top four, not necessarily the case as much as they'd like to get there. Yeah. It's kind of what I think. I could be way off. Anyway, we're going to get to Chase. Appreciate the time as always. Good to see you, Neil. Talk to you all you next too, week. You too, Brian. Okay. All right. I'm going to uh, call Chase. He's ready in New Orleans. And so we'll get to him, find out what Wayne Kiffin had to say. Chase, welcome into the MPW Digital Post Game Show presented by Dead Soxie. You are live uh, with us. How, how's New Orleans? Uh, it's not as hot as we expected, not as humid as expected. It's been a pretty pleasant day. New Orleans is fine. It smells like it always smells, but, you know, charming in its own way, Neil. It's, the number popped up as Como. Apparently, that's where we are now. That's what threw me off there for a second. Yeah, apparently, apparently we, were, we have a Como-based number, but it's okay. Okay. Uh, what what did oh, Lane, what did Lane Kiffin have to say? He was really interesting because I think between he and Jackson Dart, I was just writing this as I was finishing up kind of my commentary for the day. Is that you can read whatever you want to read into this. There are some very negative things that have to get better. Lane Kiffin said this: the team did not play well, did not think they performed well, said that it was fairly ugly for most of the time. He was frustrated in a lot of ways along with along with that. Um, they clearly can, you know, they didn't run the football well. They averaged fewer than three yards per carry. They got no push. He admitted the offensive line from what he could tell from the sidelines was not very good. It's not going to be good enough in SEC play if that's what it looks like. You know, there was lots of critical things. Now, at the same time, he did say, hey, they won by 17 points. The defense played pretty well in the second half. They got better as the game went on. The defensive backs had a pretty good day. And I thought that the most telling comment, if you want to look forward and, and be potentially positive about Ole Miss, came from Jackson Dart. It was maybe the last question he was asked in his press conference. And he said he was talking to Charlie Weiss Jr. after the game, and they both agreed that last year's team would have lost this game. That from a just sort of a togetherness, the same things they've been talking about, the continuity, the way they've been able to play together and you know stay in it, that they didn't get down, they didn't get after each other, there was no pointing fingers, that he, he said last year's team loses this game to Tulane, whereas this one found a way to win, and then you know, you Jeffrey, know, ended up winning comfortable, even though yeah. the score is, is, is not exactly the way it, way it went. Jeffrey said the same thing at the very beginning of the show. He said he kind of felt like that was a positive that last year's team he thought would have been in a lot of danger. Obviously, Michael Pratt didn't play. How how much did that, in your opinion, there factor into what ultimately went down today? Well, it definitely factored in because you have to think Tulane would have scored a few more points, would have made the, the burden more for Ole Miss. And, you know, might have made them freak out a little more. Elaine said that he thought Jackson there at times was just trying to simply do too much, that when they got behind and they punted on four straight possessions, things were not going overly well, that he was pressing. And, 
it got him out of rhythm. And I think the entire team was shocked. I, several people admitted it, even even Isaac Ukwu is a, is a defensive player, how much they seem to rely on Trey Harris. And when he goes out in that second possession, it just didn't look right. Uh, Kippen said, you know, I don't, I don't even really know why. I didn't expect that, but it was it was real. You saw it, that everything changed when Harris went out. And I think had Pratt been in the game and Tulane scores any more points, I mean, it's a pretty obvious thing, but, you know, a little more you have to overcome. You get into a deficit that's even larger. It just starts spiraling on you a little bit. And, you know, the, the backup just, just did, did, you know, did not simply have that. I don't think they changed the game plan much. Um, if anything, Tulane's biggest change from a scheme standpoint was in the run game. Isaac Ukwu said that they really ran a lot of different schematic things that had them off balance from a defensive line standpoint there in the first half until they um, kind of switched things up, until they adjusted because it was things they had not shown against South Alabama the week before. But beyond that, he thought that they, they kind of stayed in the same routine. They just made enough plays. And like I said, I think they thought the defensive backs played really well and kind of carried that thing there, especially when you know a lot of the linebacker stuff was still issues again today. They had some issues covering stuff across the middle of the field. Uh, Perkins barely played today, except for special teams. There was just a lot of things that didn't necessarily go right, but they found a way to make it work. So what do you um, – kind of give me your thoughts on why they've had such a hard time establishing the running game specifically with Quinshawn Judkins. I mean, he's in great shape. He look, he's, he's still the same elite star running back, but they're having a hard time getting him free. He got hit a lot behind the line of scrimmage today. I mean, there was really nowhere for him to go. Yeah, for the, I think the overwhelming majority is just offensive line play. I think you look at him, he's already having to make his cut in the backfield so often. He, he has very little ability to get loose in the open field because of the way the holes are, are opening up, but also that affects your rhythm because if it's just constant and you're constantly going to be able to get to the line and you know every yard after contact is whatever your total yardage is, you just can't get going at all. And I think that's affecting him. And, you know, look, does he have the same burst? I don't know because I didn't feel like, he's had the ability to show that burst. You know, his nine-yard run, it was just nine yards. But that touchdown he had, I thought that looked like vintage, if you will, Quinshawn Judkins. He showed some balance. He showed some vision. The way it sort of opened it up from my seat went, hey, no, he made the right cut. He put his foot in the ground. He, he found the end zone right there. So, yeah, I think Quinshawn is fine. I don't think it has anything to do with him. I think it's simply they're not playing very well up front. They you know that they're, they're trying to look for different things. You know, Eli Acker barely plays today. Williams plays off and on. They start McGee and Kern again. They're just looking for any kind of combination. They're not really getting it whatsoever. And then they have issues to tight end. They don't have a blocking tight end. And I know this offense is not necessarily built for the sixth hand on the ground, if you will, but I think it does make a difference. You know, they're just, you know, when, when you can't necessarily establish that at all, it's putting more pressure on the passing game. The passing game is doing a lot of things that don't necessarily open up the run. There's a car coming by me, so give me one second for it to go on by. Um, I just don't think they have any way to scheme it open, and then they're getting beat at the line of scrimmage. Because, look, you know, Tulane ran a, a true two deep today on the defensive line. They're pretty good, but it's not what LSU is going to throw at you. It's not what Alabama is going to throw at you. It, it's not the best defensive line you're going to see. And they simply just didn't handle it very well. I mean, it's really all there is to it is they have not found the right combination or the right success rate to get Judkins going, and it's affected everything about the run game right now for the Rebels. Trey Harris went out in the first quarter, did not return. Did you get an injury update on him? Uh, you know, Lane is man a few words when he's asked that question. He did, however, so they, we, we had to go back and listen uh, because for a little background, the Ole Miss press conference was in the hitting facility of Tulane's baseball stadium, and there were fans running to keep it from being 3,000 degrees. It was loud. Um, there was a makeshift kind of table chair situation. We were on these little 
bleachers, if you will, in front of Lane, and Lane was speaking as you know Lane to speak. So it was not the <laughs> the premium environment. Lane Lane walked into the room and he uh, he glanced over and said, "Yeah, really impressed with what you guys have done with the place." Um, as he was headed to his uh, his his seat there, but David Eckert asked the question, "Do you something along the lines of Do you think Trey Harris's injury is long term?" And um, his response was, "I do not." Okay. That is that is that that is all we have. Whatever you want to make of that, what connotation? What I do not long term means? Does that just simply mean not season ending? Does that mean he plays in a couple of weeks against Alabama? I got nothing. I mean, we've had some some sourcing talk about potentially he's out for a couple of weeks, but, but that's nowhere near something that we're ready to, uh, to, to to jump on board with that. Unless you've talked about it more than I'm aware of. Well, I, I just no, I, I mentioned Kippen did not uh, did not do that. I mentioned that we had a source who told us that, but that that was not confirmed. That. You know, obviously something happened because he didn't return to the game, and had it been nothing, and not only didn't return, they didn't even try to return him. I think that's worth noting too. They took his helmet, and he was not involved in any offensive game planning, any offensive huddles. He he was frankly mostly trying to to rally the defense a lot of times during the game and staying on that side of the field. Once once they took his helmet, in which was either the second or the third series, we're not a hundred percent sure. He, he, he never even participated in any conversations with the offense past that point. He was not coming back into the game today, and he was wearing a he was wearing a sleeve on his left knee. So if he's out for a couple of weeks, three weeks, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever the case may be, they're getting pre-scoring back soon. The whole emphasis on where is Zakari Franklin that that's going to heat up here pretty quick, right? Because it doesn't appear that Aiden Williams is really ready to play, which is not a knock on Aiden. He's a true freshman. He was playing at Ridgeland last year, but at some point, someone's going to have to step up and be a, a number one wide receiver, right? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and, and Franklin is the guy that I think from a skill set standpoint, but as you and I are both aware on Monday, Lane was negative toward him in some degree as far as not having any time table not knowing what was going on he can get kind of snappy with it and that's what he did with Franklin because yeah they, they don't have that guy getting pre-scoring back is going to help you know Dayton Wade had a big day today but he's not a number one receiver isn't he's going to go take the top corner and take the top off and do all those things and it's what shows you where they've got to have that guy because if you can let Watkins be a number two if you can let Wade be a number two and number three and do some different things they are pretty dynamic but you need the tight end I mean they were they were playing really shorthanded right now, and they're probably going to be that way against Georgia Tech next week in a similar vein. I'm really curious to see what the game plan looks like next week, kind of what they do with it. I don't think Georgia Tech's a complete pushover, and they're pretty limited. I mean, at times, I leaned over. I was sitting next to Michael Katz, and I said, I know they're scheming, but it sort of looks like backyard football. They were having to really fight for yards on every series. They were having to do a lot of different exotic things to get people open. I mean, just – it was harder work than you would typically expect against Tulane, against an American Conference team when you're trying to either get a comeback or create some separation. I mean, it was it was a struggle out there today. You can't run the football. They don't have any receiver to just get open and maybe get bracket coverage and open up other people. Everything just felt very, very, very difficult for Ole Miss, if that makes sense. You can kind of see that from a rhythm standpoint, and I felt like in person you could even more so. It just – there was nothing that looked easy, nothing that looked wide open. Tulane pr- played pretty sound, but it really said more about what Ole Miss had out there and what they were able to do. I thought it was a big game for Jackson Dart. I know the statistics or whatever, but I just thought he stepped up and was – if you said, hey, who was the guy that made it happen for them, I would say it was Jackson Dart. It was 100% Jackson Dart. He was the, he was the emotional leader. He was the guy that kind of kept going. He had that huge 20-yard run with his feet when they needed it there at one point. He – 
he did a lot of things to just sort of game them to a win today. You know, if they don't get the the scoop and score from Jared Ivey and they don't do some of the things to extend it, I think that's what we're talking about is, is the defense playing better, the defense, you know, really stopping Ole Miss and allowing them to catch up and then pull away. But the thing offensively is Dart just did a lot of things to make it happen. I think, you know, he found different receivers. He was – he lost his security blanket. And when you look back at fall camp and the start of the season, he's really lost his top two security blankets because there's no doubt his best chemistry was with Trey Harris and Caden Priestcorn. Yeah. And he's out there on the road playing a pretty good team without the top two guys that he's most comfortable throwing the ball to. They really focused on Jordan Watkins. Tulane was doing a lot to try to take Watkins away. It's what opened up Dayton Wade in some different ways as well. I mean, he just kind of had to fight for everything. He was moving in the pocket more, and he used his speed. They got a little bit out of Judkins there on a couple runs, but I mean, otherwise, really tough sledding, and it was up to Jackson Dart to manipulate it and carry him down the field in every way. I think that's why I agree with you, is that you know it's not even necessarily his arm or what the stats look like. It's that when you're all SEC running back has carries of nine and carries of 12, and outside of that, average fewer than two yards per carry, it's on the quarterback to get everything done, and he just sort of, kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. And when, you know, once they got over that lull of those four straight possessions with punts and got a little bit of momentum, he found just enough and, and got them to the win. And then, you know, he's, he, he's enough. There is a leader to, to admit that kind of coming full circle to our first question. I mean, you, you get in there and you've got to have a certain amount of respect to tell the media, Hey, last year we would have lost this game. Last year it wouldn't work. I see things with this group. We're trying to be a certain way. We thought we were going to win. We're not, we're not celebrating as a locker room. As Houston Nutt would say, we know we got issues, but you look up and you can find some satisfaction that you at least got it done and you got out of New Orleans at 2-0. Texas A&M did not get out of Miami 2-0. How excited are you for Mario Cristobal? Are you, or did you, have you already sent, sent him a congratulatory text? Have you celebrated that yet? Or I know you're in New Orleans, a place to celebrate. I mean, are you going to toast the Hurricanes? I'll be honest, Neil. I was a little worried that I pulled a jeeks. Uh, I was being a complete jackass. I sent a text. I asked how my buddies in Knoxville and College Station or a tweet asking how my buddies in Knoxville and College Station are doing this evening. Tennessee was up a touchdown on Austin P at the time. And Texas A&M scored right after that. And they cut it to seven. And I was like, ah, hell, please don't. Please don't let that be the thing right here. But I see that Miami pulled away. I saw they scored right after that. The, the, the Hurricanes taking – Taking care of business. Apparently, even Bobby Petrino can't fix everything in Aggie Land. It's uh, it's pretty nice, you know. I got to get out of here. I got a lot of writing to do still because that's the one thing that you and I get is you could not really ride ahead in this game the way it was going. So I'm not completely done with everything. I've got to go finish, make sure everything's pretty complete. But as you find a little meal, find a find a drink. Yeah, texags.com, aggieyell.com. <laughs> we'll go to it on the browser. We'll see how it's going. We'll open it up. Get a little popcorn. It's going to be a good night, Neil. It's not bad at all. Where are you going to eat tonight? Uh, I'm trying to get back to the hotel. Staying at the Hilton St. Charles. That's where Luke's at. Um, I'm going to try to get back and just get a quick little meal there. Um, might even just set my computer up at the bar and kind of work and finish up while watching Alabama, Texas, or I don't even know that score, but whatever's going on with the uh, with those games. I mean, you, you know me. I'm in bed pretty early. I'm I'll be pretty tired. I'm, it, it's you know, look. I said it's not. New Orleans, humid and hot, but I mean, I've been sweating all day, so I'm not, I'm not doing anything crazy. But yeah, I'll go find a meal, open the laptop, watch the TV, and uh, catch these late games. I guess we both have State Arizona and uh, Cal Auburn tonight too. Yeah, states, states ahead of Arizona, fourteen to nothing. All right, last thing, I've asked everybody this uh, kind of all night, so I'm going to ask you. You look at the scoreboard. Okay. T- Tennessee sort of struggling with Austin P. I mean, they're going to win, but it's just twenty-three to six in the fourth. Alabama's trailing Texas 13-3, to about to punt. 
Uh, Missouri leads Middle Tennessee 10 to 7 at the half. LSU leads Grambling 21 to 10. Florida leads McNeese oh. 13 to nothing. Furman leads South Carolina 14 to 7. Auburn and Cal play later. Obviously, Georgia did what Georgia does. Ole Miss struggled, you know, on the road against Tulane playing without Michael Pratt. I mean, there was some concern there. They trailed 17 to 7 at one point. Vanderbilt loses to Wake Forest. Uh, Kentucky was unimpressive in an 11-point win over Eastern Kentucky. Arkansas was unimpressive in a 28-6 to win over Kent State. I probably feel like I've set the question up. Is the league down? The league certainly feels down um, to some extent. You know, what's made the SEC good annually is the middle is better than everybody else's middle. And I don't know if that's the case. Now, here's the deal, though. And here's what I don't know. And, look, everybody else has this, too, from a Power 5 standpoint. But the SEC is usually, because of NIL, very dominant in this. Does it take a little while because of the transfer portal? Yeah. You got all these transfers. Does it take a few weeks? Do you not really know what you have? And you've got all this stuff. And you don't know how they're going to work together. Has that changed the calculus a little bit is kind of what I wonder. You know, because, yeah, you look at it right now. And, I mean, even despite all the struggles, I mean, Ole Miss was still one of the more impressive teams of the day, and that says more about everybody else. They just I mean, The league has not looked good at all. They've slept walked through a lot of games. The portal has probably increased parity in college football more in the early part of the season than the entire season as a whole. But I think just in general, I think a team's ability to get everyone on the same page, keep everyone semi-happy. I mean, you look, you got NIL stuff. you got people knowing where people making in the locker room. There's just a lot of added crap that goes yeah. on and I, I think that I think that's involved I think that's something that potentially makes sleepwalking a little more common has more games where guys just kind of get through them and aren't necessarily locked in I mean you saw that because look I mean take Missouri for example even against Middle Tennessee State they're probably not showing up full blast hey just kind of get through it well I mean no maybe middle, I don't know but maybe middle got a transfer maybe they did this you know what I mean I mean yeah. it just kind of happens and I think that's what's going on I think that you get into week five, week six, things probably start solidifying. I think the SEC as a whole will get better as the year goes on, but you got to avoid you got to avoid that big loss or that screw up until you get there. I think that's why today was big too. Is maybe look a loss to Tulane would have been devastating to what Ole Miss is trying to accomplish this year, and they've got a lot of things they've got to get right. They got to get healthy. I mean, they're they're really dealing with injuries in the wrong places right now, for the most part, but. You know, you, you, they got through it. They learned something about themselves. They did some things, and you can't find those positives. It's not just platitudes. It's not just being Pollyanna at all. Can't really say the same thing about other teams. I mean, Texas A&M is far more talented than Miami. They lost today. They didn't play as well. Miami played better. And, uh, you know, I think that's the deal. I mean, Ole Miss has a bit of a challenge next week. Oh, for sure. Get back home. Georgia Tech's not going to be a pushover. It's the same kind of thing. you got Alabama in two weeks. You're watching Milrow. You're watching Alabama. They look susceptible if you play really well and you get a couple guys healthy. But you got to show up against Georgia Tech. You got to at least finish the game, do well, and, and and move on. I mean, if you're Ole Miss, what went 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 on around the league today? That wasn't what was going to happen with Tulane. Lane had Tulane circled. It's what you got to prepare for for Georgia Tech next week. Yeah, Georgia Tech and Ole Miss six thirty uh, next Saturday. We'll be talking about it all week. Uh, so get your work done. Hope we get to back to the hotel, enjoy a dinner, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Sounds good. That was uh, Chase Parham from uh, New Orleans. Appreciate his time. He'll have some content up at rebelgrove.com. I've got a column up already, and we'll have a lot more to you, obviously, over the course of the evening. Ole Miss at some point will put out the uh, – they will should at least put up on the FTP – 
the post game, although I won't be surprised if they don't because it doesn't sound like it was particularly um, uh, audio friendly. And typically when that happens, they don't put it up. So, uh, we'll, but I'll continue to look for it here over the next uh, the next little bit. So um, again, Ole Miss wins 37 to 30. Don't forget that uh, we've been brought to you by our friends at Dead Soxie. Celebrate, support the Rebels by wearing socks that contribute to Ole Miss Athletics, NIL, and the Grove Collective. Check out the Ole Miss NIL collection on deadsoxy.com. Additionally, they're excited to announce their new collaboration with Michael Trigg. The new collection is now live on the site. I've put that uh, link in the chat. I've also uh, put it up at the YouTube page, so you can check that out. It's uh, it's live, and uh, Dead Soxy says... Hotty toddy. I said 37. I don't know what I said. 37 to 20 was the final score. Ole Miss wins. Ole Miss plays uh, Georgia Tech next Saturday, 6.30 in Oxford. Um, we'll have full coverage uh, of that leading up to uh, that game all of uh, all of next week. So, uh, again, thanks to uh, Pete DeWeese. Thanks to Jeffrey Wright. Thanks to Brian Rippey. Thanks to everyone in the stream. And uh, we'll be back with you on Monday with another edition of the Oxford Exxon podcast, full week of podcast as we get ready for Ole Miss and Georgia Tech. Until then, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Good night.